Hello, and welcome to Digital Catapult's Future Networks podcast. I'm Jeremy Silver, CEO of Digital Catapult. On today's episode, I'm joined by Maria Nelson, who is our Senior Head of Innovation Practice at Digital Catapult. Uh, Maria, with her team, runs a portfolio of innovation and acceleration programs that help small companies grow, large companies innovate, and innovation ecosystems flourish. She's worked with numerous startups and multinational corporate partners. So welcome, Maria. Also joining us today, our guest, Simon Baker. Simon is startup developer advocate from IBM. His work at IBM supports startups on their journey of how they can take steps to work with IBM to enable them to get to market. He's worked with developers, startups, innovate software vendors, systems integrators, enterprises and corporates. You've worked with a lot of people, Simon. And his work with IBM Developer gives him a unique perspective on how organizations can get started with their business from a technology and a commercial perspective, and to potentially be in a position for partnering with IBM into markets and client opportunities. So Simon, welcome. Welcome, thank you very much. And it's not every day that I work with all of those, it's spread over time. (laughs) (laughs) So continue listening to us as we explore the importance of collaboration between startups, large corporates, and network platform providers, along with future network technologies. So let's get started. And one of the things that we've been talking about recently here is the relationship between the way that 5G and the Internet of Things uh, have in the past had companies working very much on their own in trying to develop their own end-to-end solutions. But with a predicted 50 billion internet-connected devices by 2020, ecosystem players are starting to capitalize on growing convergence and collaboration opportunities in their own value chains to move beyond just core offerings. So it's really clear uh, that collaborating with other communities in the ecosystem and enlisting external collaborators and innovators is a really good way of developing new products and solutions from concept to end user. So when you look at that, ecosystem, though, it's easy to talk about it. But Simon, can you give me a sense of how you see that ecosystem landscape? Who are all the players in the, out there? Well, it's the list that you outlined in your introduction. And there is a danger of putting people into indiv- individual boxes. What I try and do is look at them from the perspective of who's innovating in, in any one of those organizations. And I'm very much focused on the the right hand end of the long tail, if I can use that concept where you've got a a lot of developers at the extreme right hand end evolving into startups with their side projects that they work on the weekend they're passionate about during the week um, outside their jobs and helping them connect into where a lot of established incumbent businesses with where we typically uh, lie with our enterprise and commercial and, and large clients and it's about bringing those two together again in those organizations who's focused on the innovation and, and, and who are the innovation officers uh, thinking about how they can grow in their own businesses, the established businesses, to take account of what's going on in the ecosystems and the innovation that's out there. And if you're a startup and you're, you're in that kind of stage of sort of figuring out where you want to be pointed, 
and you're thinking that you might want to work with a large business like IBM, well, you know, how do you go about doing that? What, would, what steps do you take? Well, it's organisations like Future Networks Lab, Digital Catapult, um, and engaging with them from an industry perspective. At the end of the day, that's how we go to market principally is by our industry teams, whether it's our consulting practice or our, our sales teams, our technical sales teams typically are organised by industry. So where I'm focused is working with the communities that are around each industry, engaging our sales teams to help identify who those organizations might be that are leading the industries from an innovation perspective and bringing those ecosystems together through those communities. And then sharing with them our thought leadership, our technical frameworks, and enable we can actually underpin that and bring those two organizations together. I mean, the thing that's that's probably characterized IBM most significantly over the last probably 10 or even 20 years now is, is your sort of adoption of open platforms mm. and your interest in, in doing things that allow that kind of collaboration. I mean, Maria, Simon, both of you, this is, this is a question for either of you, I suppose, but that sense of, of open platforms, open data, open technology, why is that so critical to these kind of collaborations? Maria? We were talking about this a little bit earlier. My question was, where where is the innovation actually coming from or how do you benefit each other? And I think that's part of the answer. It's companies of different sizes and with different industry expertise learning from each other, right? And so in an, in an open, which is obviously not completely open, it's, it's still a, a managed environment. It's about bringing together a lot of different players with a lot of different expertise, industry expertise, technology expertise across the whole stack, and I guess benefiting from from the strengths of each of these players. When we say open, what do we mean by that? Because actually there are a few mm. different different versions of open probably, aren't there? I think it is that area of being open to the partnerships and the collaboration of, of everybody coming together to bring the best of what they have to bring. And then people actually being open to others. Hmm. helping to create that open platform with those different perspectives that each can bring. And do you find, uh, Maria, I mean, you've done a lot of this work of bringing early stages and relatively small companies together with, with large companies. Simon talked about openness, but, you know, is there, there is a cultural challenge there, isn't there? How, how do you help bridge that? Yeah, there's still a curation, I'd say. It's a curated openness, right? So it's open from, say, IBM's point of view, but it's still a, a, a curated group of who can participate. And then the openness is also something that, I guess, comes with a lot of benefits and, and risks that need to be managed as well, because all of these questions are on IP and what does open actually mean? What am I sharing? You know, you're sharing market-leading yet highly curated thought leadership as well. Um, startups are sometimes less experienced in, in knowing how much of their product and their ideas they should share, how much is beneficial. So a lot of it is speaking to, to both sides and, and kind of getting a sense of that vision, as you said earlier, Simon, sharing the vision of where things are going, but then also figuring out, okay, so what's the mode of collaboration? How do we share a level of insight and knowledge and expertise that is valuable and comfortable to everyone involved without overstepping boundaries? And I think both sides... Um, need to be equally strong. It really is an eye-to-eye -eye partnership, isn't it? The developers, the smaller companies, mid-sized companies, whoever is in your ecosystem, they have leverage as well because they're bringing a lot of expertise and, and thought leaderships themselves. And th so I think it's for both sides to be aware. I think you're right. It is, it is, it is a cultural challenge with an, with an established incumbent organization. And it's about finding the right people within that, going back to one of my original points of finding the innovators in both halves. So if we can talk about them, it's essentially two halves of, of the same world. And what I find the greatest joy is when that connection happens and you find the right person. So I had a, re a recent example in the financial services market where 
there's an organization, Innovation Partner, who's doing a lot around open banking, and they're very much to your point, Maria, around their subject matter expertise is around some of the terminology and nomenclature being used for consumers that ultimately will want to benefit from open banking. And then introducing that organization to somebody who was open to receiving that input. And that was such a joy when you actually see that happen. And it it is, it comes down to the like-minded individuals. This whole area of collaboration is now populated by lots of different organizations offering acceleration, incubation, innovation hubs, uh, every conceivable kind of means that apparently bring different people together. But uh, when you look at all that uh, as IBM, what are the approaches that you take? So you're absolutely right, Uh, Jeremy. It it is very wide and very fragmented. And what I've worked out over the last um, year or so is to take an industry approach. And that's very much because that's how we go to market. So it's had that focus and to work with our sales leaders, our consulting partners by industry to say, what are the key communities we think we should work with within that very fragmented world? And to actually bring a bit of um, agile approach to it, uh, to sort of tap into again, that way that the culture is changing between innovation partners and, and an established organization. And we do a lot of innovation, agile development in IBM. We very much have a, a huge drive around agile. So that's a, a mindset that we have in the culture bit building. So we can take that approach to working with these communities and saying, okay, we're gonna work with you, take forward an in- industry point of view that we very much understand, having the insight uh, from that collaboration and then bringing on board the ecosystem innovators with that story and then underpinning that with a lot of enablement we can provide. So that's the approach. Tell us a bit more about what, what kind of innate, when you say a lot of enablement, tell us a bit more about that. So enablement is, 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 a, is a foundational set of capabilities we have under what we call the IBM developer way. And we bring that forward with a set of three things, three tenants effectively, code, content and community. The code comes in the form of code patterns, reusable, open source, downloadable from GitHub. You can be up and running in 30 minutes and have something to actually see how the APIs and the data sources all work together. Content is a wide, varied uh, set of resources with frequently asked questions, documentation, online education, vlogs and blogs, and a whole assortment of, of, of support. And this is what developers like. They like to go and source this stuff themselves. And they're the ones that effectively can influence those technology decisions within that innovation. And the third is what we call IBM Code, which is a set of meetups that we run Principally, uh, IBM Code Scotland out of Edinburgh, but bridging out to Glasgow. IBM Code North, uh, we're establishing in um, Sheffield, but recognising Manchester and Leeds and the powerhouse of the North. IBM Code London's been very established for a couple of years now. And IBM Code Bristol to look at the Southwest. And we've got about 17,000 developers across those different meetup groups. And we also add in there Power AI and Big Data and a couple of other things. So that's IBM Developer Way. It underpins the technology development decisions by helping the developers understand where we're going. Let's think about this from a slightly different point of view and turn perhaps to the way in which uh, we see quite large groupings of people working together to sort of dig into this a bit deeper and see whether we can get some stories about some of the ways that you know, we're seeing individual companies developing. So we know that there are the, the sort of big blocks of people who work, like IBM and AT&T collaborating on a sort of a global basis. And then a bit more locally, we also see it amongst universities. So, you know, with the development of 5G in the UK, we've seen Surrey, Bristol and Kings being the sort of the three kind of powerhouses of this. So there, there are all these different ways in which these big players are coming together. 
How is that accessible, do you think, Maria? Or, or are there actually are there barriers to making that accessible to, to startups and early stage companies? It is accessible and there are barriers, yes, twice, twice, yes. There are barriers and organizations like ours, fortunately, are there to try to remove those barriers. I'm interested in, in kind of your thoughts, Simon, but I would say the first barrier is that a lot of these technologies are enabling technologies, so you can point them, so IoT is an enabling technology. You can point it at whatever you want. It can do, you know, whatever you want it to do. And so you need to have an idea of what you want it to do. And so it's developing those use cases. Hence, I think the the industry approach is is eminently sensible to say, what does a specific industry need? So figuring out what you want to point something at in the first place, and then finding the right partners to develop specific use cases. And there's a lot of collaborative learning that has to go on. So one of the barriers is often that the question isn't quite clear you know, what do you want it to do? The answer isn't quite clear. Who's the right supplier to do this? And and the collaboration mechanism might not be quite clear. And so a lot of this is about not just, say, harnessing existing ecosystems that have already, you know, con- converged. It's really about building them and helping them grow together and learn and collaborate. And, and if I'm looking at this from a, a corporate perspective, what's the benefit? I mean, why should I bother? Because innovation goes both ways, right? So it's not just you definitely benefit startup or developers, smaller companies, less experienced companies with a lot of of your thought leadership, but you get a lot back as well. So what's what's IBM getting out of this program, Simon? Well, so one of the key benefits is we have the opportunity to talk to the innovators, thinking about things much more agile than we necessarily are. And they have also got another understanding of the customer that we don't necessarily have. Uh, it's, a, it's a wide set of opportunities out there and there's plenty of room for everybody. And so it's about bringing those two halves again together. And as Maria says, innovation is both ways. We've got our viewpoint. The innovation partner's got their viewpoint. Let's bring those things together with that open open perspective. And it's places like the Future Innovation, the Future Networks Lab are key to helping make that happen because that's where those two halves come together and also you know importantly wrapping it around with things like market development um, uh, business development with with the right financial people ip lawyers you know bringing all those things together to create that mix is really important and, and maria i mean you've had lots of hands-on experience with early stage businesses coming through programs like this can you give us a couple of anecdotes tell us a, a couple of company examples of, of, of things that have happened to the businesses and why it makes sense for them to get involved yeah I guess I'll give generic ones, not to give specific names, but I think often um, something that happens is that companies come and think they have really clear questions and really clear answers. So a, a corporate sort of challenge owner or challenge sponsor, as, as we call them, will say, I want this particular thing done. And a startup company might come and say, I have a product that you know fits, fits the bill just fine. And through working through that process, people understand that there's so much more that they can know and understand about each other's work. And and one of the lessons learned often is actually we didn't quite understand how wide the space of opportunity is until we came. We thought we had a clear idea, but it's it's so much wider. Often it's about bringing the whole stack together. So we're running a program at the moment with a networking infrastructure provider um, who's looking to understand, as you said, the end customer better, but also the providers of equipment to the end customer. 
and you know they all have pieces of really deep expertise the the sort of original um, equipment manufacturers know a lot about the end customer market but they might not know as much about the network connectivity the end customer will know what they want done but they don't know how they want it done you know what connectivity what applications what platforms should we use they they just care about the outcome and and the network equipment provider um, you know wants to look at how to get IOT to actually be adopted IOT 5G all of these connectivity technologies but they need a really deep understanding of a sector and of a use case as well as an interoperable view to scale and so to get these two slices together is is quite challenging and and Simon for, I mean that's really interesting because you, you, what you're what you're talking about is the fact that in a sense everyone's piecing together all these different components yeah. that are part of the overall stack but that actually by working together they get to see a, the bigger picture that individually they that they can't but i'm sort of interested so that's i think that's a that's clearly a value to everybody because everybody then understands much more clearly well where, you know where should we all go and where's the opportunity if if i'm an individual startup or 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 a, a developer business simon and i'm coming into one of your programs what sort of relationship with IBM can I, might I expect to develop over time? Is, is, that, is there a sort of an end game there in terms of, of where, where things might go for, the, for individual companies? I have an idea what the end game might look like. Uh, I think we're on a bit of a journey getting there because, again, it's part of the cultural shift and change that needs to happen with a large organisation that has a very established strategy and knows where it's going at one level. I think what we're talking about is back to those use cases. We're talking about collaboration, Within that use case, because not one startup is necessarily going to uh, handle the whole opportunity, and it's about the stack, who are the other components of the stack, and it's, again, bringing people together in that collaborative way we talked about at the beginning. It's not just about the open platforms, it's about the openness of people working together to create the whole stack that ultimately delivers the solution. You've got to think of things like... um, you know, service management, governance, help desks, all those things have to be brought to bear as well. And so that's not necessarily going to be one player in it. Um, so it's about that value add that can be brought together by a number of participants. The starting piece is we have something called the IBM Startup Program. Uh, we have IBM Code, as I mentioned, in terms of uh, access to enablement, the Startup Program to help facilitate things from a commercial perspective. I'm available through LinkedIn, Twitter, and all normal channels. Yeah. So it's a group of developer advocates, and we can all play a role. And there's many other people. And I think it is really also about committing to that journey together. So it's not just the early stage, it's actually the scaling. And the scaling is still a learning process and something that co- both sides have to commit to doing together. So even if you figured out the early stage, the proof of concept, the pilot, the scaling is still a whole other journey. I think there's a lot we can learn from um, established models like value-added distribution, value-added resellers. You know, there's established players that have actually been doing that for many, many years. And, and they've typically brought together those value players into a collection. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, looking to what models have existed in the past, what can we bring that the new way of working has and bringing them together is, is we can each, again, learn at that level. And, and can any of the companies that are um, coming onto your programs, can they expect at some point to become suppliers to IBM? Is that something that happens or is that not really what your, I think there your are, approach is? I think are, there are broadly five routes to market uh, that can maybe end up being supplier. And I would never start to say, yes, that's what you'll end up being. But it, it starts maybe with a digital marketplace, a digital presence. Um, there's potential for engaging with our digital sales, and there's various steps to go through. It starts becoming some commercial. So is that the, the IBM digital marketplace. Yeah. You're talking about. So yeah. tell us a bit more about that. 
So it's an online marketplace. You can sign up, uh, have a presence in there with your um, offering, and um, it's essentially referral back to your own website, as it were, and your own. It's not quite there to the point of being, say, like an Apple marketplace. And whether we, I have no, I'm not open to whether we're going to go that direction or not. But there is a digital marketplace, digital sales. Then you get into what I just referred to, which is value-added distribution and the players there. It's then potentially direct sales and engaging there. And then maybe becoming a third-party provider to a prime contract that we might lead. And those are five broad categories of route to market. Each one has a level of increasing resources on both sides. So as a startup, you might just get completely overwhelmed getting involved as a third-party provider to a prime contract, and it might be something you don't necessarily want to do. It would just take all your resources potentially. So I think it's a case of looking at those broad sets of routes to market and where do you want to play in those as a startup or as an innovation partner. And Maria, more broadly, when you've seen these kinds of programs that work with other companies in, in, in other sectors, what kinds of trajectory do you see early stage businesses going on when they come into relationship with, with companies like this? Because I think, you know, as Simon said, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming and potentially not the best thing for a startup to do hmm. uh, if they try and do it too soon, for example. So are there, are there, do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, well, it's a... Again, it's a journey, right? And we, we really help to um, try to help people to go through that journey in a, in a kind of measured, ambitious and measured way. So it's figuring out together with the client, having a neutral party like an organization like us, but having a, a party talk to the client as well and say, okay, what's sensible here? Is it a proof of concept? Is it a, a pilot? Is it a demonstrator? Is it a full-scale deployment? What is sensible given the maturity of the company and the maturity of the technology? And then kind of trying to go through these, you know, from proof of concept to pilot to pilot deployment in several locations. So the journey, you know, tends to be quite classic from a small kind of proof of concept or trial to scaling it up. But it is really about making sure that expectations are aligned and realistic at each stage. And that depends on the businesses, the use cases, the technology maturity, on all kinds of factors that you need to consider. It's not a kind of black and white um, and what decision. What are the there. typical challenges that a company might, a small company might encounter when trying to engage with a, a big corporate player? Some of it, as you said earlier, is, is cultural, Jeremy. So sometimes small companies might not be willing um, to say straightforwardly, we can do this or we can't. They feel like there's a big ask from the corporate and they kind of just have to meet it somehow. And so actually having somebody moderate that and, and figure out what is actually doable. Um, sometimes the corporate partner might just say, well, this is what we need you to do. Or, you know, this is kind of the expectation that we have, which may not be realistic given, say, the maturity of a technology like AI that requires massive amounts of data, you know, in sensible format being made available. Um, so it is about moderating that. And then at a, at a later stage, sometimes success can be a challenge because suddenly they're asked to do three, you know, large scale demonstrators and at three different factory sites. And they actually haven't thought about how to get the kit out there, even where to order it. There is something about really managing those relationships and, and um, setting ambitious but realistic expectations for both sides yeah. completely agree i think there's the classic constraints of time people's time what do you got is it tasks in terms of your own st strategy and, and it's about finding the alignment which is what we've been talking about finding the alignment within a broader context who are the other players how does everybody align up to actually help deliver the mutual outcome we're all hoping to achieve and, and when you look around the uk you're involved in, in regionally in quite a lot of different programs, aren't you? Uh, and do you see 
differences between the way that people work in different parts of the country? Or, or actually, is it just really about what level of business development a company's reached or, or what maturity it's got to? Um, I, I think you, know, you look at those broad regions I described and, and they are technical hotspots, each of them. So I think the culture is pretty much the same. And certainly what I've come across is the same challenges, the same desires are common across where we're approaching it is very much with the developer community and sort of that bottoms up approach in each of those areas and they're all like-minded individuals they they want access to the information that enables them to do a better job that they've been tasked to do so i don't think there's much of a variation across uh, and maybe you know by our lens of industry is maybe constraining but that's the way we're looking at it just to establish something so manufacturing industrial within Sheffield and likewise here with Digital Catapult. London, the obvious ones are healthcare and financial services. So we're approaching that. So maybe that's constraining us a little bit. I don't think so though. I think it's a necessary step actually to be focused, to focus on the success that Maria talked about as a way of actually um, everybody coming together to say, right, we're focused on this successful outcome. Let's work together to drive that. And would you recommend that from a sort of a, a you know an early stage business perspective to the people? Because quite often people develop a, a, a wide ranging technology that could be applied in lots of different ways. Would you recommend then a sort of an industry sector direction that people should take? I think it's inherent, even though it might be broadly applied. Ultimately, I think it inherently starts with an industry focus. <laughs> they will have one or two clients that are kind of in one or another. Um, so it inherently starts there. So there's nothing wrong with starting with that. If that's where the the mutuality is, then let's work with that because that helps drive the collaboration. Mm. It may be just a pragmatic choice of how yeah. to communicate the capabilities of your technology. Unless you point it at something, it's really hard to say what it can do. So sometimes it's about picking that first, second use case and exactly. saying, here's an example of what it can do, but we can also you know, transfer it to another area. Yeah, I think focus is really important and, and focus around that use case, as we've talked about, because that enables the stack to be brilliant. The, who are the other collaborators how does this ultimately get to the outcome we're all trying to achieve and when you think about the way all this is developing and we've come a a long way in quite a short space of time to develop these kinds of programs in so many different places and so many parts of the country now where do you see it going i mean how's it going to develop over the next few years do you think are we getting better at this what i have observed over the last two years is consolidation around industry and I think also increasingly enterprises recognising this is going on, establishing themselves with some of their own innovation hubs. I mean, it was Tech Nation produced a report a couple of years ago that said 53%. I don't know what the number is now. Um, so that consolidation is going on a number of places. And I think that's just going to continue. And I think the two worlds, I don't think, hopefully they're not going to collide, um, but they should nicely come together and everybody benefit from it. But it's still, we're on the journey. Uh, things are still evolving. It should evolve into this collaboration around innovation and, and moving quickly and agilely for everybody's benefit. So there are quite a few pieces of the landscape that we haven't, you haven't mentioned yet today that I'm sort of interested in. I mean, on the one end of the thing that, of the spectrum, there are investors who, mm. you know, sit on the sidelines and then, you know, get cl- interested in individual companies and watch them moving forward. And on the other hand, at the source of things, a lot of universities are, you know, developing skills and putting graduates out there. How do you see those... That you know, when you look at that broader landscape, 
Are they all going to be involved? Uh, and have they still got more to, to do? And, and uh, I mean, as IBM, do you work with universities and with investors as well in all of this? We do. Not so much in my role. I have a colleague, colleagues, um, we have an academic program. I'm very keen on tapping into that more where each of the universities have their own business development innovation capability. And it's how can we then bring that as part of the, the journey, if you like, at the extreme end of the long tail. And then on the investor side, we have a ventures organization that have their own approach to where they might start to work. So we do have those. Um, the bit I'm more involved with is this developer to innovation organization and then linking to the corporates mm. and, and looking at that piece. And if investment needs to be put around it, we've got contacts uh, in, in that space. If they're working with universities, in fact, there's an organization I was talking to a couple of weeks ago that has come out of university and they've formed themselves. So the research um, has been done. In fact, quite a few, um, to, a couple last week over the Geovation Hub both come out of university projects um, themselves and recognize they can actually then take that into a, a, a startup. So it, it depends where it starts as well, I suppose. But yeah, there's a lot to be learned, I think, from the universities and what's going on, trying to tap into that through the business development organizations they've got. Hmm. So if I'm a, a technologist in a large corporate, listening to this conversation and thinking, gosh, th I ought to be more involved in this, what's the best thing to do? How do I get involved? <laughs> find organizations that can be enablers and bring people together. I think to the last point, there's a little bit of, I think there's a lot that we can still do about communication between the different systems, really. So universities, the startup ecosystem, corporates, adopters, all of that. I also think that the systems do need to remain, if you look at it from like a systems uh, theory point of view, but they need to remain somewhat separate. So the risk for experiment, the, the appetite for experimentation at risk will not be the same across the whole value chain. Yep. And pushing one mindset onto another, pushing a kind of you know, output-led corporate mindset, say, onto a, a university is, is not going to achieve better outcomes. But I think in terms of connecting the value chain and actually making sure that the people who do the basic research have a chance, a channel, to talk to people who might be working with those technologies uh, downstream, I think is, is really, really important. As a technologist, I mean, I think you want to be aware of the whole value chain, but also of your position in it. As so let me a, ask yeah. you, thank you, Maria, <laughs> but let me ask you, Simon, the, the, the same question. If I'm a, a technologist sitting inside a, a large company listening to this conversation and I want to get involved, what might I do? So very practically go to developer.ibm.com and then developer.ibm.com slash startups. That's a very practical step you can take. But I want to pick up on Maria's point there. I think, I think there's some really important roles that the likes of Future Networks Lab can do, which is to start to say, where's their position in this very fragmented value chain? And I've seen that being done in a couple of other communities where they position themselves to say, we're here on the journey. Um, and, and then there's these bits before us in terms of others, because everybody's trying to claim from these community perspectives, the whole of the value chain or a fairly substantial part in their role in the value chain when it's not actually true. Um, so I think there's a, there's a role for places like Digital Catapult, Future Networks Lab, the other catapults to say, we're in this position and ahead of us, you can go and do this, this and this. Because I think there's great promise potentially made by some of these organizations and it's not necessarily the right starting point for some of these startups. Get back to the point Maria made around expectations. It, so I think collectively we have to work who are the players in the value chain. 
And then that will help answer the question of where do I start? Excellent. Well, that's also a very good place to finish. Thank you. I think we've learned a lot about where all this is going. I think we, we now understand a lot more about how IBM is, is playing in the spectrum and the sorts of programs that you're offering, which is, is tremendous. Uh, so thank you for joining us this week. That's all for today's episode of Future Networks. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Simon Baker from IBM for joining us today. Thank you. And for Maria Nelson from Digital Catapult for sharing your knowledge and perspective on future network technologies and the importance of collaboration in the space. So join us again in the next podcast episode and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify so you don't miss an episode ever. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about Digital Catapult and the work we do in the IoT and the 5G space and our other work, visit our website at digicatapult.org.uk. Thanks for listening.